Hello and welcome into another episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Reams, and today we are talking to Flavian Gioshu, the CEO of Pandascore. Flavian, thank you for joining the show. Thanks, uh, Mitch. It's been a pleasure. Pandascore is a Paris-based startup using artificial intelligence to capture and analyze esports data, especially in betting markets. But they also offer data to media entities and to brands looking to quantify sponsorship success. Last week, they closed a $6 million funding round led by Serena Capital from the V13 Fund and Axiomatic Gaming, the parent company of Team Liquid, among other investors. In this show, we're going to discuss esports betting, why better numbers are needed in this industry as a whole, and how Pandascore intends to use the newly raised capital for expansion. But before we get into where you guys are going, let's begin with where you started. What was the core mission of the company when you founded it in 2015? Initially, as a sports fan and esports fan, I was seeing um, the parallel and actually the lack of experience in, in esports compared to sports. Uh, so I was trying to bet. It was difficult. I was trying to follow matches, scores, um, schedules of, of tournaments, and it was yeah, it was very difficult uh, back in the days. So initially, what I wanted to do is help um, those type of products uh, exist and being built by others. So and and since then, this is our mission: is providing data um, that allow any entrepreneur and any business to build whatever experience they want to build around esports uh, and what we want to create is like uh, no limits in, in the type of experience uh, that you want to build so it's going to be real time it can be really deep and really data driven can be a light experience uh, like with uh, just a small amount of statistics just to complete and enhance um, content for example and so on and so forth so really our mission is enabling and allowing businesses to grow and to build the type of experience of the future in esports. Definitely. I remember how difficult it was to find scores back in like that 2015, 2016 range. You had to go on like Gamepedia and hope that some random fan had updated all the scores from the night's games. And if they had it, it was like, ah, where do I go to find this stuff? Yeah. And a, f- a funny story on this, uh, at the beginning of the company, um, to test our hypothesis, uh, we went on video, like on Twitch channels, uh, broadcasting esports events. And we were just answering to people in the chat uh, that were asking, oh, what is the score of the previous match or what's the next match? And we were private messaging them on uh, the outcome of the game and it was a link of Pendascore. Uh, and it was just like very manual very late uh, effort, but it was like working pretty well. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's so crazy to think about. I've, I've been that person at Twitch chat being like, hey, hey, what was the score of the last game? Hey, I missed something. What what happened? And the fact that that data is not easily available is pretty wild. I came from a traditional sports background as well. I guess we're just so used to having that score be blasted over 15 channels at any one time on every TV network, on every app that you want to have on the TV adjacent to sports that has scores. And in esports, you're just like, where do I find this? It, it's not available. And I think that's changing a bit, but we still have a long way to go from that ubiquity that we have in the traditional sports world. Definitely, yeah. We talk about scores and we also talk about data. Esports as an industry with so much growth has also brought in some interesting numbers to say the least some uh, contradictory numbers maybe we should say uh in the esports market as we go through so much growth and people have different definitions of what esports is how do we separate the good numbers from the bad in esports and why is it important to make sure 
that us as an industry have for putting out numbers that are accurate and backed up? It's always the same debate around statistics. I mean, if you've ever argued with someone in, in sports or in esports about the performance of one player and talking about the statistics, there is always interpretation. There is always one data point that is for someone a really good uh, argument and for the other it's a shitty argument. It's always like this. And for like esports industry data points, it's exactly the same. There is a lot of people talking about viewership and the comparison with the NBA. I mean, the number is probably not wrong by itself. It's just you can't compare um, those two numbers that are very different. One is, for example, in the NBA, the viewership from one game among like five or seven, and the other is a peak viewership or uh, one match in total. Um, so indeed, it's, it's hard to compare, but those numbers still shows the incredible growth esports experienced. Uh, it's, it's really a matter of understanding what you're looking at. And as a data-driven person in, in a data-driven company, uh, we're always very cautious on how you can use the data points and what it really means and not just extrapolating everything from this. Yeah, the apples to oranges comparison of viewership was one of the big ones. There was a really famous article that came out that claimed League of Legends had more viewers at the Super Bowl. And uh, that's just not true and it was doing that exact same thing that you mentioned where you're taking one's peak viewership a combination of uh who ya do you twitch and all this and adding them together and trying to match up with a tv market uh data by nielsen and now that nielsen's actually evolved with league of legends and with overwatch we've seen that uh league of legends worlds had a 21.8 million viewership last year backed up by nielsen which is actually directly comparable to the NBA Finals, uh, but places like Overwatch, which were in the past compared to them, had an AMA of about 1.3 million, which is not comparable uh, at all to the NBA Finals, which average around uh, 10 this year, actually about 10 million, and uh, a few years ago around 20 million. So it's, it's an interesting number comparison. It feels like we're finally moving to a point where we have companies like Nielsen doing better metrics so that we could make some more apples to apples comparisons between sports and esports. How is Pandascore working to make sure that we have uh, metrics that work across a wide variety of disciplines and that we can apply those to esports? Um, our mission as, as a company is really to focus on the performance data. So everything that can say if one player uh, perform better than another or if one team won more than another so that's really our core focus and we try always to focus on things that are objective and at the same time uh, we are aiming to never um, i mean to give as many data points as possible uh, and without doing uh, an effort like a, a creation effort on our side because we think it's not our job to tell which data point is better than the other um, it's, it's our customer's uh, job to do that and to figure out what is better. Uh, we're here to, to, to provide as many things as possible and to let uh, the user or our, our customer decide kind of how they want to use it and, and what they think, they think really matters. That's kind of our position as a company. Definitely. Can we talk about some of the different ways that you can incorporate Pandascore's data? So you mentioned how there's individual stats and then there's also a lot of esports betting applications. That's an industry that's seen a lot of growth, especially during the sports hiatus of uh, spring and early summer. We saw a ton of sports books begin to offer esports lines, increase their handle on esports. Where is the esports betting market at, at over the last few years? And how have you seen it grow 
especially during this pandemic over the last few months? Yeah, I think uh, uh, first to kind of explain how you can use our data and then like dig into the betting use case. I think um, statistics, or actually the statistics that we create uh, and compute um, are being used right now by professional teams for coaching staff uh, and, and, and for hiring, like scouting new talents. They are used, used by teams to um, do content and, and social media content around the performance of the players, about the wins and, and, and so forth. They are being used by media to, again, enhance the content depth. Uh, we are working with fantasy websites. We are working to, to, to help them build the score systems. Uh, we're working with uh, some startups for like trying to innovate in the streaming experience with embedded statistics and enriched contents. We're working, of course, with bookmakers. So there's, there's a wide range of um, use cases uh, of our data. Um, if, if we're zooming into the betting use case, so they will need road data like schedules, who's playing, which team, which player, um, outcomes, so who won, how many points, how many kills, how many deaths, and so on and so forth. And they're going to use something, like one thing more, which which is going to be um, the predictions, the odds. Because as a bookmaker, you're working with so many sports, so many esports, so many different stuff that are very difficult to, um, to, to know very well. So they're um, used to work with companies like us that he, that are here to predict the winner, to predict the amount of kills, the amount of goals, and, and so on and so forth. And we provide them a raw odd, um, which is a prediction that we put and we update in live uh, according to the action. So before the game, for example, we receive a news saying, oh, this player is not going to play actually for whatever reason. So we update the odds. Or during the game, uh, the star player is not performing as you, uh, as always, and, and we update the odd. Or they just destroyed the, the first tower and they get an edge, and we update the odds. So this is our job is really understanding the probabilities for our customers. And the customers then will handle their risk and the, and the user management and everything. So that's on, on their side. Um, so that's kind of what we're doing uh, with, with, with bookmakers. And it's very challenging uh, compared to just raw statistics because we have to transform them into something um, that kind of bring the expertise of what is esports. And I think that was probably, if, if we come back to your last part of the question, uh, it was something that was difficult for them historically and still is, is because since they don't really understand esports, they're like, okay, how can we price esports? What to offer? What esports matter? Uh, do we Should we offer Fortnite, for example, uh, or, or just stick with League of Legends? So they, they have a lot of questions and that, does, that are kind of unanswered. Um, so I think the, the, the COVID situation in the past few months helped a lot because they had to ask the question and they were forced to both to ask the question and to try to find an answer and find a solution to provide um, to provide a proper esports product absolutely you're not a very successful sports book if you're putting out any sort of lines that you aren't uh, entirely confident aren't going to be absolutely destroyed that's sort of there in a nutshell for a sports book to be successful and to make money you have to have a absurdly high level knowledge of the odds and the probabilities because if somebody uh, and i'm sure that's what that's something that stopped a lot of odds makers from putting out esports lines as being like we aren't totally confident that the line we put out will make us money in the long run and that's uh it's one of the difficult challenges and i feel like this data can help push books over the edge where they're like okay well we have panda scores data and so we can use those probabilities and that way we feel more confident putting out the esports lines to to a general audience. 
Yeah, definitely. I think there is there is really two levels of understanding for a bookmaker in about esports. Do they understand generally what is esports and and what it means to offer esports? The the fact that it's streamed online on Twitch and stuff like this can can have an impact. What are the main esports and and what are what is what is the market? What is the type of bet on esports? Because they they know what it is on football and on basketball, but what it is on League of Legends. Uh, so that's that's the first layer. And 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 after this, of course, there is a layer of what is a, pro, a good probability? What is a good price on on an esports match? And of course, other bookmakers just they can't handle this. They don't have the team. They don't have the resource, and they, and they don't know if it's going to work. They don't know if it's going to be big enough for them to justify investing in a trading team or even in a, in a third party product. So th- this is really interesting. And um, if you're looking at what they're doing in sports, in traditional sports, there is some bookmakers very successful that have their own in-house team that is pricing a, like a lot of sports. But very often they work with uh, a company like us in traditional sports and they just get the price um, the, from from a model on, on football, basketball and, and so on and so forth. And the same model will apply in esports. It's going to be probably even more true because of the the distance uh, from the sports world to the esports world, uh, especially in terms of models and, 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 and the fact that, for example, in esports, things change quickly and, and, and much more often than, than on, on, on traditional sports. But they, they really need to have um, a company like us backing their, um, their, their odds, basically. As always, AI is just smarter than humans 100% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Not 100% of the time. And that's, that's the beauty of AI is like it helps human tasks for a lot of things, but it can't replace humans. Well, at least we're not at this level. But, but for a lot of tasks, um, this is, yeah, much better. It, it's, it never gets tired. 98.8% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. It's especially for betting odds makers it's just one of the better ways of making sure that you have an edge over the general public trying to place a bet that your stuff is backed up by complex algorithms and and artificial intelligence while somebody else is just like i like cloud nine i'm gonna put a money up <laughs> that's how you make money as an odds maker right there it's, uh, yeah it's, it's interesting uh, on, on this uh our perception and our vision around ai in the modeling and the betting products that we build is that it has to be teamed up with people, with traders. Um, because the models, they know a lot, and they're, in average, they will be much better than traders. But the traders will spot the things that the model sometimes forget or sometimes couldn't see. or And they will have this intuition, the traders, they will have this anticipation of things that will um, allow a model to be close to 100%. The model itself might be 98 or 95, whatever, but the, 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 the trader will bring the rest, which is the hardest thing to get. Makes sense. The combination being so crucial to have that long-term success. Uh, you also mentioned fantasy games, and we had Sleeper, uh, the fantasy site that you have partnered with and that uh, is offering League of Legends fantasy games. We had them on the podcast a few months back ahead of the summer split, and I actually tried to get a league together on their platform, big fan of Sleeper. And I'm curious what the growth opportunity is in fantasy uh, games for all of esports, but especially for the ones that work through a league format, which is so crucial to being successful on a fantasy format. You look at how popular American football is, and a ton of that popularity, especially with younger fans, is 
through fantasy football. That is what gets people watching Sunday after Sunday after Sunday all fall along, including myself. Where's the where's the benefit of fantasy type games for esports leagues, especially the ones like Riot Games League of Legends or like the Overwatch and Call of Duty leagues that have a straight up league format uh, that lends itself to a fantasy format? Yeah, first, uh, Sleeper is an amazing product. And I'm not just saying this because they're a customer of ours. Uh, but in, the, the, the experience of building is really, is really great. Um, and I think it's that's one of the differentiator. And that's one thing that fantasy or at least new companies in fantasy world are bringing to the space that is really creating like, something for esports fans that are more demanding maybe than sports fans. Or at least they are used to more interactivity than sports fans playing video games all their life. I think... The fantasy world is very interesting. In Europe, it's not that big compared to the US. So we are, I would say, further from what it is. I mean, we have a few apps, a few stuff here, but it doesn't work that well compared to in the US. Um, but I think this, this um, we had an example, I would say, four years ago on League of Legends when we had like Vulcan and Alpha Draft. Like they were like just had tremendous growth in, in, in a very short time. Um, and I think what's what's interesting with, um, with fantasy is the social dimension of, of, of it. Because betting, usually you, you bet and you talk a bit with your friends, but not that much. Whereas in fantasy, you're in the same room as your friend in a consistent way. So every week you're just trolling your friends because you have a better player. And then the, the week after, he's trolling you because you had one player that is, didn't perform. I think this this social dimension is something that Sleeper understands well, is... is is yeah, it's, it's the alpha and omega of this. It's really, really key and really bring the value and, and the interactivity on, on esports and and um, and leagues are essential, of course. And I would be very curious actually to know or to see what it would look like if 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 we had fantasy for CS:GO, uh, how big it could be, uh, it could become. Um, I think it's a, it's a quite interesting uh, interesting topic. I, I think, especially with the skin thing maybe there is ways to be rewarded with skins and stuff like this that would be that would be quite exciting i think i think it would be really popular and with the move that csgo has had you know with things like flashpoint and with the esl pro tour it feels like csgo might be in a place where it was just major and minor tournaments and some teams are liable uh to just skip them because it you couldn't really play everything on the schedule it was really been really tough to make a fantasy format out of that could say you have uh astralis players and they're just like okay we're only playing the majors like how do you score that uh you know can you draft the best players that that poses some issues uh but with the the move towards some more league ish formats or uh more consistent tournament formats i feel like we could have csgo fantasy and the big benefit of it is it gamifies like you mentioned trash talking with your friends it gamifies the aspect of watching a sport and that's such a huge part of it we are all gamers we all love to play video games we're generally all pretty competitive people uh and having that way of okay i'm rooting for my team but i'm also rooting for my fantasy team against my friends has been proven to bring people into watching more sports in general and so it's uh something that i would love to see more esports expand to or think about and create structures where fantasy games work. As far as I know, Sleeper is really the only uh, fantasy operator doing... I think maybe there's some like daily fantasy for League of Legends, but I, for season-long fantasy, which is what fantasy football is, fantasy basketball, fantasy baseball, I think even uh, fantasy like the Premier League and some of the major uh, football leagues are out there, 
is season long and I think Sleeper is the only one doing that. So I, I would love to see more and more esports expand to that. Yeah, I think uh, Sleeper is the one that had probably the biggest scale apart from uh, the DraftKings and, and FanDuel in esports. Uh, I think it's that's that's a big differentiator compared to the others. But there, there is definitely other. Like we have a few customers that are building um, fantasy in different geographics, like in Australia, in Korea, and stuff like this. Um, so it's it's there is definitely some. Um, there is a trend, and I, I'm quite excited um, in the next few years to see the result of, of this because there is there is interesting stuff, and there is like different experience, not just like the usual DFS or the usual season long fantasy that we were um, we're used to, but uh, with with more things and with with new things. Even even Sleeper is 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 doing stuff with the pick and bands and stuff like this that are quite interesting for a more daily um, uh, activity. But there is there is so many things that are coming for this. It's really interesting. Absolutely. And I'll link that podcast down below this one. If you want to hear, I talked with the CEO of Sleeper and uh, one of the people on their staff who's doing a lot of the leading the League of Legends Sleeper. It was a really interesting talk about what are some of the unique challenges of making a season-long fantasy. Uh, but I want to get back to Pandascore with Flavia here. So you guys just closed a Series A funding round. It'll be last week when this airs. Uh, $6 million, pretty massive route with some really big partners. You think, see things like Serena Capital, you see things like Axiomatic Gaming. Where are you hoping to use that money directly? And how are you hoping to allow it to grow the business going forward? It, it, also come, it all comes down to our uh, history and, 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 and the things we want to achieve. So the past couple of years, we started working on, on a product for bookmakers. Uh, and it took us a bit of time because it's a very complex product. I mean, you can imagine how uh, demanding it is since you're offering odds. And if the odds are wrong or bad, it's just losing money for a bookmaker. So it, it demanded a lot of time. And the past like the past year, uh, we started selling this product and it works very well. Um, and we arrived at a stage where we're like, okay, we have this thing called product market fit. So the market wants our product and we have the right product to serve the market. And... And, and, and we, we validate our hypothesis and we know there is a, there is a strong business model. So we came, um, I mean, we started fundraising during the, the, the very early days of the COVID, like in March, April. And we started seeing a few investors that we knew already about um, and that were, we were discussing with for uh, a certain time and Serena being one. Um, and even with our existing investor, Alvin, and um, everyone was quite excited by the traction and um, the industry and, and, and um, the resilience of the, of the, of the markets in general. Um, so I think that's, that's when we say, okay, we are ready to raise money. We are ready to transform our customer base and to 10x this customer base in the next couple of years, three years. Um, so that's what really dry, drove the story here. Um, it's about growth now. It's about going to the next level. Um, and one of the main thing that we want to, to do now with, with the money is going to be to scale the commercial team and the product team uh, in, in general to design and, 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 and kind of provide the best experience for our customers on the integration process or so when they get our API access and they just build the product from the API so it's easy and it's quick um, and they just feel like they have exactly the kind of data they want to build anything really. Definitely. How about expanding to other games? Uh, manipulating artificial intelligence 
you know, esports is often described as a monolith. You know, I host the Esports Network podcast where we, co- we cover all of esports. But games have a lot of really different issues within them. You know, if you're doing AI for Hearthstone, that's vastly different than a CSGO, which is vastly different from a League of Legends. How do you manipulate the data and the backend software to make sure that you're covering for all these other games? You know, can you take us a little bit under the hood and show uh, what that challenge looks like and how you make sure or how uh, you distribute, you analyze uh, data for all the different major esports? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a very complex pro- problem, and it was something that we luckily identify very very early. Uh, when we started, we were just two people with Jonathan and myself, and we were like, okay. the problem is now we're building a proof of concept on League of Legends, but we know there is going to be Counter Strike, Dota two, Overwatch was getting close to starting or something like this. And we had like other games that were interesting. Um, and we knew it was going to be, um, I mean, the product would require many esports in the future and a new esports could come out and so on and so forth. So we had to build and design this AI. And when we designed it, uh, we designed the first models to analyze the video. Um, we were like thinking of how to make it scalable, not just scalable in, t- in terms of amount of matches that we would analyze at the same time, but also scalable in terms of how many esports we can we can go through. And it was um, a very complex effort, but right now the way our architecture works is just, it takes, you can analyze pretty much anything. It's just about which model you plug into the, so- the solution and the solution and the stuff like the the backbone of the AI will, will do the work and, and select the right uh, model and, and, and analyze the right thing and process the data the right way, but in, in kind of an of a agnostic way and, 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 and at the same time a specific way. So it just kind of, yes, splitting the effort and, and figuring out, okay, this is League of Legends. Um, the interface of League of Legends is, is, is like this. So we analyze, okay, this is the minimap here. This is the player's information. This is the KDA. And then... I know it's the minimap, so I will plug an, uh, a neural network that is going to transform the minimap into coordinates. Um, I know this is the item, so I will plug a, a specific neural network that will analyze which item, item is it and which cooldown uh, the item has, um, and so on and so forth. Uh, we have very different use cases. So I, I was mentioning the minimap, which is one example where um, players just collide. Sometimes you have overlap. So this is specific part of the network is able to memorize where the player was, what is the vector of, of the trajectory of one player, and just continue tracking it, even if it's just overlapped by another player. Uh, we have other examples, like one example I like is on, on FIFA, uh, which is um, the camera ang- angle analysis. So we analyze the camera angle, if it's if it's a free kick, if it's a penalty, if it's a normal game, we analyze the colors of the of the uh, we can analyze the colors of the of the jerseys and and, and the ball. Uh, on on games like Counter Strike, we understand very well the interface, so we can because the interface change a lot between tournaments, which is not the case on League of Legends, for example. So sometimes there is one data point more, one data point less. Sometimes the size of the interface is bigger or smaller. So we have automation on this where we can understand, okay, what's the size where each information is? Is it this type of logo or not? And, and so on and so forth. And everything is kind of automated. So that's that's really um, resilient to change. And I mean, to launch an MVP on a new game, uh, it can take us a few weeks to have a basic stuff. 
like for sure, but still something that we can get enough data to uh, start collecting and start building a database for our customers. And then it takes us a few months to build uh, like a very deep like product with full data, data length. Um, but I mean, there is always data points that you can collect. So it's never ending. Uh, there's so many interesting things that you can collect from the video and, and it's just, yeah, never ending. Absolutely. Esports uh, will always be constantly changing. The only constant in esports is change. And so yeah. that's the final question I actually want to ask you is how do you account for differences in meta? When you think about something like League of Legends, where, okay, you have all this data, it's been building on itself for a long time, and then they introduce a new champion, maybe they nerf one. How do you make sure that the artificial intelligence accounts for individual changes in games? Is it holding... Uh, previous lessons from a past meta that might not be applicable to the current data? Um, this all comes down to the, the amount of data point that you have and how quickly you can refresh your data. Uh, there is other companies in the space collecting data or analyzing data, and um, they, they probably not always have the full scope of data, meaning that they probably don't analyze everything, every tournament, every competition. Sometimes there is one competition that are using is using a new patch before the others. Uh, you can also analyze the semi-professional scene. You can analyze the solo queue to get like very macro uh, impact on, on a patch. There is so many data. And if you're analyzing pretty much everything or at least a big amount of data, uh, you will be able to pick up the changes beforehand, before the specific competition starts uh, or, or uh, and so on. So it's it's really about this. And and then there is technical things that are be allowing us to adjust from the meta. So a model will take different weights for different parameters. So if sometimes, for example, kills are so important and sometimes it's not kills, it's going to be the amount of drags. So I'm just taking a simple example. But if you're tweaking and the model will be able to do this with the right amount of data, but if you're tweaking the weights from kills versus um, drags, um, they will be able to understand and to test uh, itself on, on the new meta change and, and be able to say, okay, I predict with the same accuracy, but different par like weights on parameters. And then there is other things that are more advanced that we're uh, considering sometimes proof of doing proof of concept, but kind of simulating the game with, with AI and, and, and being able to test with the new, uh, new patch, how one um, change will have an impact on the global model and the global predictions uh, model that we built. This is more complex, but this is also the kind of thing that are interesting and, and allow us to get an edge because in the end it's going to be about edge. If a, a sharp punter better as, um, as a, a better feeling than us on one um, team because they know them well and they know how they will behave with such a patch change, um, they will be able to beat us. So we have to get this edge as fast as possible for sure. Absolutely. That's super interesting. Uh, it's a it's a space that's going to grow a lot, like we mentioned uh, throughout this. Good data is so important in esports, if esports is going to continue its growth. So that, Flavia, thank you so much for joining the show. It was great talking to you. I want to give you one more chance to plug Pandascore. What do you want people to be on the lookout for? Uh, people are looking for a data provider. Why should they choose Pandascore? Um, yeah, indeed. If you're, if you're looking for data on, on esports and you want to find one stop shop for, for this, so from schedule, basic data, or very complex data, live data, like very complete uh, solution or even odds, we are, we are the 
one of the best decisions like you can make. Uh, and, and one other thing also as a startup, um, we are putting a lot of efforts in making sure we are building the best products. Um, and we are constantly talking to our customers and, and iterating on the quality of the products to make sure integration is going to be easy and, and, and you will have the data uh, that you, you need. So it's, it's really part of our culture uh, and, and our values to be very uh, thorough in, in understanding the needs of our customer and, 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 and making sure we, we can uh, provide the best product possible and provide the best data possible. Absolutely. And I will link uh, Flavian's profile down below this. So you can check that out if you want to get connected with him, if you want to get connected with Pandascorp. Uh, for now, if you enjoyed this show, I think you'll also like the last one we published, which was a Victor Cow, an accountant who is doing a lot of work in esports, a lot of uh, financial modeling for where esports is going. So if you enjoyed this conversation on esports data, I'll bet you enjoy that one too. That's just the one down on this feed. Uh, but for now, I was your host, Mitch Reeves. This is the Esports Network Podcast in partnership with Reuters. Thank you all for listening.